And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible with you, keep it as our gift to you. And if you are using a seatback Bible, you're looking for page 840 for Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. As we begin, um, I'd like to thank uh, a couple of people. So this whole summer, we took a break from doing potluck in prayer, and we were doing popsicles in prayer, where we getting together um, once a month and eating popsicles and praying together, and it was awesome. Um, and uh, Amy has put, put a lot of work into this summer. She uh, made each night, we did this three times throughout the summer, each one had a different theme to it um, around our mission statement as a church, following Jesus into worship, community, and mission. And so each night, we our prayer was focused on that. And so last night, we finished it with doing worship, where we had the worship team, uh, Daniel and Jax played, and we prayed through the, the names of God and um, prayed together. It was awesome. The whole summer was great. So I just wanted to thank Amy for all the work she did in making that happen, as well as our worship team in general. Our worship team puts in a lot of time and energy into getting ready. Um, they get here early to practice. They practice on Saturdays. They put a lot of time. Daniel thinks through um, you know, the set list that we sing through every week. Daniel doesn't just randomly pick songs. He thinks through a progression. He thinks through what is this, how is this going to connect? How is this going to flow with the sermon? How is this going to flow as a service? There's a lot of detail put into that. And our worship team just has a lot. It's so much easier. Let me tell you, it's so much easier to come up here and do this, to preach God's word after we get led into worship by our worship team. Um, and so I just want to thank them for all of the work they do. If you are interested in joining the worship team, if you'd like to sing, you play an instrument, um, you'd like to get involved, um, I would love for you to uh, sign a connect card. I'm just going to look right at Shannon. Uh, <laughs> on the connect cards in the back, there's a spot where you can circle worship team. Drop that in the offering plate, and Daniel and myself will follow up with you to get you connected um, and ready to go for that. So um, last week, if you weren't here, we began a brand new series looking at the life of the Apostle Peter. It's called Work in Progress, Learning from the Apostle Peter. Peter is the everyman of the Bible. He is the regular, ordinary guy who gets put into an extraordinary circumstance as a follower of Christ. Peter gets to experience and see firsthand God in the flesh, God interacting with his creation, dwelling amongst his creation. And because of that, because of the proximity he has to Jesus, Peter's life is changed. He is transformed. Some of his rough edges become smooth, or at least smoother than they were when they started. And this happens because he is around Jesus. He has a relationship with Jesus. He has what we call today discipleship, being made into a follower of Christ, being made more mature in their faith in Christ. That's what happens to Peter throughout these three years. And while there was a lot of formal teaching, Jesus does a lot of formal teaching to crowds, to the disciples, a lot of, I would say, most of the life change that we see and the growth that we see in Peter comes not from necessarily uh, the formal teaching, but just from being with Jesus getting to experience him, getting to be around him. It's the adage of caught, not taught, right? Just being around that person. We said, follow me. When Jesus calls Peter and says, follow me, it's that idea of being a rabbi. And you would spend so much time, if you were a student of a rabbi, you would spend so much time with that rabbi, you would begin to pick up on the way they thought, on the way they acted, the way they interacted with the world, just because you were around them so much. And so today's passage is one of those instances where we see Peter not necessarily being taught directly, but catching what Jesus is doing. Because really, in today's passage, this is not a Peter story, but rather it is a story that Peter observes. Peter gets to see. He gets firsthand access. And so as we walk through this story this morning, I want you to try and put yourself in Peter's shoes. Try and think through, as we look at the events that unfold, try and think through, how would you respond? As you saw Jesus interact with these different people, say these different things, how would you respond? What would you be thinking? 
Put yourself there. How would you react as you watch Jesus go through the events that we're going to read today? Because this is one of those stories, like I said, Peter is not the focal point. He shows up kind of at the end. But it's a story where he's there. We can learn from it because we can put ourselves into Peter's shoes and we can observe what Peter observed. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to pray and then we are going to jump into Mark chapter 5. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to worship, to sing, to pray, to be together. God, we thank you this morning for sending Jesus. For sending Jesus to show us how to live how to be in a relationship with you, how to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to you. God, thank you for being not distant, but close. Thank you for not being the uncaring, not paying attention kind of God, but rather the God who is ever-present, who is always paying attention, who is always involved and invested in what we are doing, who cares about the decisions we make. God, we lift up this morning those in Texas who have been hit by the hurricane, those who have suffered loss, those who have suffered loss of family or friends, those who are still trying to recover. Lord, we pray, um, God, we pray for that hurricane to move out. We pray for that, um, for the rain to stop. And Lord, we pray for people to, to be able to help. Lord, we pray that they have access to, to help. And we pray that um, people are able to respond as, as they try and recover from this damage. God, as I pray, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive and live. And he went with him. So at this point in the story, Jesus has a reputation. Crowds are starting to gather wherever he goes. He is known as this great teacher and a healer. Just before this story, he has healed a man that had a withered hand that he couldn't use. Jesus heals that withered hand. He has exercised demons from people. He has told paralytics, get up and walk, and they did immediately. Word is beginning to travel. Word is beginning to spread. This Jesus has power. This Jesus can do things that nobody else can. And this leads to a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus showing up. Now the synagogue leaders were very anti-Jesus. They didn't like the attention he got, the love and support that he got. They questioned his motives and his origin. They didn't agree with his decision to perform miracles on the Sabbath. Basically, anything Jesus said or did, they had an issue with. And yet, Jairus shows up. And not only does Jairus show up, but he falls at the feet of Jesus in public, begging Jesus for his help. Now, the synagogue rulers at the time, they were honored and respected. They were dignified and classy. They did not grovel or beg for anything, especially in public. Not like this. But even though he was a synagogue ruler, even though he was this respected member of the community, Jairus is also a desperate father watching his daughter pass away. And desperate times call for desperate measures. So regardless of what the synagogue's official stance on Jesus was, Jairus sets aside his role as a leader and takes on the role of, this is my daughter, my, I am a father, and he shows up to Jesus. 
regardless of what the leader's stance on Jesus was, Jairus at least had enough faith that to, enough faith in Jesus to ask for his help. Now, we have no reason to believe Jairus was a follower of Jesus at this point. But here he shows up and he believed enough in Jesus' power. See, this wasn't like a last-ditch Hail Mary. It's not a, I guess let's try it and see if this works. Jairus says, I know you can fix this. There is a certainty in his request. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. Not come and try, come and see what you can do. It's come, and if you come, and if you put your hands on her, I know she will be made well. There is a certainty in his request. And his faith must have been genuine because Jesus decides to go with him. So we have Jesus, we have this large crowd of people, his disciples with him, and we have Jairus, and they are now on their way to go to Jairus' house. But on the way, an interruption happens. Something stops them. C.S. Lewis once said, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. So Jesus is on his way with Jairus to Jairus' house, and something stops them. Let's pick it up in verse 24. It says, He went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, we have a situation developed. A woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She saw many physicians. All of her money has gone into this. She is broke and sick, trying to make, trying to find a cure, and instead of getting better, she has continuously gotten worse. At this point, she was probably pretty well known in the area. Who she was, what her situation was. Because not only was she sick, but she was, by Jewish law, unclean. Because of her condition, because of her continual bleeding, she wasn't allowed to be in the temple. She wasn't allowed to worship. She wasn't allowed to be around other people, really. Because on top of that, if anyone touched her, they themselves would be unclean, and they would have to go through this uh, ritual to get unclean, to be made well again enough so that you can go into the temple. If anyone even touched her, this sickness made her isolated and alone. No one would be willing to spend time with her. She would live disconnected from the world. I mean, just being out in a crowd like this was a huge issue for her. She could have gotten into a lot of trouble. But we see, look at verse 28. Even if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. 
That word for garments is the, the end tassels of the robe Jesus was wearing. It's not even, I need to get close to him. I need just, just, the, just the end I just need to be near him enough where I can kind of brush on him, and I will be made well. She knew, like Jairus knew. She had this complete faith in Jesus' power. Again, this is not a last-ditch effort. This is not, I guess we'll try. I mean, it's been 12 years. What's the harm? Rather, this is, I know he will make me well. I know he has the power and authority to do this. And so she touches him. She finds her way through the crowd. How she got through that crowd, who knows? But she touches him and is immediately healed. And we also see that Jesus knew something happened. We don't quite know what power had gone out of him means exactly, but in that moment, the woman and Jesus both knew she had been healed. Now Jesus is in the midst of a crowd. It says they are thronged about him, covering him in this crowd, and he wants to know who touched him. The disciples tell him there's this huge crowd pressing in on him. Actually, Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, his account of this story, he has Peter being the one to reply, Really? You want to know who touched you? Look around, Jesus. Look at all of the people. Who touched me? How can you ask that question? Don't you think if people were that close to Jesus, people are pressing in on him, don't you think some in that crowd probably had some kind of sickness? Some kind of issue? Some kind of something that could use Jesus' healing? I mean, we got a room of like 40-something, 50-something people here. And I'm sure we have enough people here that have some kind of physical ailment, some kind of friend with a physical ailment, some kind of issue that could definitely benefit from the immediate healing of Jesus, right? Now this crowd is pressing in on Jesus, and yet none of them were healed. The Bible doesn't record any miracles happening for any of these other people. Why? Because there's a difference. There is a difference between bumping into Jesus when you don't mean to and seeking out after him in faith. You can be in church. You can show up and put yourself around Christians, but that isn't going to do anything for you on its own. Your relationship with Jesus is not based on whether or not you are around Christians, but rather are you seeking him in faith? Are you trying to build a relationship with him? And so this woman touches Jesus. He asks who did it. She stands back for a minute and then comes forward to explain what happened. He says, who touched me? Doesn't he already know? I mean, it's Jesus. He knows. So why ask? Because God is looking for a relationship with us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us, he wants to give us the opportunity to take a step into the relationship. This unclean woman who put herself on the line in front of all these people comes forward, falls at the feet of Jesus, and tells him, this is what happened. Here's my situation. Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, groveling for help with the fear that he will lose his daughter. This woman falls at the feet of Jesus out of fear for what may happen to her for this act. Both were terrified, but Jesus responds with kindness and grace to their fear because Jesus brings comfort. There's a couple of things I want to take from just this section with the, with the bleeding woman. For those of you who have put your faith in Christ, you have no reason to fear God. 
Should you respect and honor him? Absolutely and amen. Should you respect and honor him based on who he is in relation to who you are? Definitely. But you never need to wonder what kind of mood is he in? Does he like me today? Because there is always grace. There is always forgiveness. There is always comfort to be had if you are a son or daughter of God. So that's the first thing I want you to be affirmed in. The second thing is don't get so focused on what God will do that you forget to pay attention to what he is doing. Those of you who are students or fresh out of school, this really especially applies to you, but this is something for everybody. Some of you here are in school or applying for jobs because you feel, you are confident, you believe God is sending me here. God is sending me, this is point B, this is where I'm supposed to be, I know it, it's been affirmed, this is my calling, I'm supposed to end up here. I have my destination point, and so I'm just going to focus on that, like a racehorse. I'm going to put blinders on everything else, and I'm just going to get to this end point over here. And this, again, this isn't just a young person thing. This is a, or even a ministry thing. This is something that we all do because oftentimes we think, well, right now is preparation time. I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not ready enough. It's not doing stuff time. This is time to get ready to do stuff. God can't use me yet. I'm not ready. But later on, you know, once school is done, once I get the right position or I get into the right church or I have the right training, once the kids are out of the house, once something, once things clear up and things get a little bit easier, later on, God can use me then. Once everything settles down and falls perfectly into place, then God can use me. We become so concerned with the end point of our life that we forget to actually live while we are living. The great philosopher Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. So let's recap. So we have Jairus, this synagogue leader, come to Jesus and says his daughter is sick, needs Jesus, needs Jesus' touch. Jesus agrees, they're on their way. Along the way, this woman comes up, touches Jesus. She's not only healed by Jesus, but Jesus stops and affirms her, affirms her relationship, her faith, and sends her on her way. If Jesus was only fixed and focused on getting to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, this healing of this woman never happens. Her faith in Christ is never affirmed. Taking it even broader, if Jesus is only fixed and focused on getting to the cross to die for our sins, these events don't ever happen. But instead, we get these moments. The Gospels are full of these moments. The disciples get these moments where they get to see God do amazing things. They get to see God moving in the midst of of the world just as they lived. They get to see these glimpses of what the kingdom of God is going to look like, what the future holds for those who have put their faith in Christ. They get to see these moments where Jesus would pull back the curtain a little bit, show them what it's going to look like when he reigns and rules. Because when that day comes, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more women with a bleeding disease who gets worse and worse over 12 years because that will no longer be part of existence. Church, do not get so fixated on where you are going or what you think God is calling you to. Amen, if you're following a call. Amen, keep doing that. But don't forget to pay attention to what he is doing right now. What he is doing in you and through you and around you right now. Because God doesn't waste time. 
His timing is perfect. And he is always at work in our lives. It would have been so easy for Jesus and the disciples to ignore this woman, right? She's a nobody. She's broke. She's unclean. It would have been so easy to say, hey, we got to go take care of this girl. She's dying. They had somewhere to be. Jesus had a sick girl to heal. But instead, Jesus spends time with this woman, puts God's glory on display to this woman, shows love and grace and care for her. Don't get distracted by where you are going so much that you forget where you are. Now, with that said, what about the little girl? Let's pick it up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So while this event with the bleeding woman is all happening, Jairus' daughter is getting sicker and sicker. And eventually somebody comes and his worst fear has come true. His daughter is dead. Why would Jesus take so long? Why would he let this happen? Doesn't, doesn't God know about deadlines? Doesn't God know that things are important to happen at certain times? Doesn't he know that I'm praying for this thing right now because I need it to happen right now? Doesn't God know that if this bill isn't paid now, if this test isn't passed today, if this job is not offered this week, everything is going to fall apart? Why doesn't God pay attention to my timeline? God's timing is perfect. He is never slow to act, even when it feels that way to us sometimes. Once the news is delivered, Jesus tells Jairus two things. Do not fear, only believe. Jairus, you had faith to come to me when she was sick. Have faith now. Have faith that I am in control. That nothing is outside of God's control. At no point are we ever going to pray something to God and he is going to respond, you know what, that's just too big for me. That is above my pay grade. I don't know what to tell you, you're on your own. That won't happen because God is in control of all things, even this dead little girl. And so Peter and James get to go, Peter, James, and John get to go with Jesus. These three men, we'll see throughout the Gospels, these three men make up Jesus' kind of inner three is what they're called. So Jesus has his 12 disciples, and out of those 12, he has these three who are kind of his inner court. And these three get to see some amazing things. And so they get called into the room with the father and the mother of the little girl. Jesus shows up, and there's a bunch of people mourning. It says weeping and wailing over this little girl. At that time, there were actually people who were professional mourners. People you could pay who would come 
when someone passed away in your family, they would come and they would mourn. They would cry. They would play a flute. They would play like sad flute music. And they would just make a big commotion. And you could pay people. And probably some of those were there. They're making this big deal. They're crying. They're wailing. Jesus walks in and asks what seems like an odd question, right? Verse 39, he says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. Jesus got some rhyme game. They laugh at him. They laugh at him because this seems like a really poor question and a silly statement to make. Of course she's dead, Jesus. We know what dead looks like, Jesus. This girl is dead. I know the difference between asleep and passed away. Jesus knows this girl is dead. But you see, for him, this is not the end of her story. This is an opportunity. An opportunity, once again, to show people, here's what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Here's what it looks like when we no longer have to deal with the remnants of sin, with the death and pain and sickness, when these things are nothing but a faint, faint memory. Here's what it's going to look like. And so Jesus has everybody else leave. Because this isn't a show for everyone to see. Jesus is not about putting on a spectacle. This is a moment of God showing grace to a grieving father and mother. It's the moment of God showing Peter, James, and John the power and authority of Jesus. It's a moment of Jesus proving that death does not have the final say. God does. And so Peter, James, and John stand by as Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and says to her, Talitha Kumi, little girl, get up. Jesus talks to and gives a command to a dead girl as if she was alive, and only he can do that because he is God. It wasn't a magic spell or an incantation used for bringing people back from the dead. That's why Mark adds, when he translates it, he adds in there, I say to you, because he's showing he is able, Jesus is able to say this by his authority and his authority alone. Little girl, get up. And she does immediately. She is up and walking. Verse 43 says she walked around and Jesus made sure they got her some food. She's up and walking and eating. So Jesus didn't just bring her back from the dead to the sickness that she had. He brings her back from the dead and restores full life to this girl. Everyone in the room is amazed, Peter included, overcome with amazement. Literally translated, it's out of their minds with amazement. Couldn't process it, speechless, didn't have a category in their brain for what they just saw. Overwhelmed. This little girl would forever be a testimony to the power of Jesus. And even though her parents weren't supposed to say anything, I mean, you got to figure people are going to know what happened, right? Because she was dead, and now she's not. Her life shows the power of Jesus. Her life restored shows the power of Jesus. But her resurrection, her coming back from the dead, is just another glimpse. It's another shadow of things to come. Because one day, she was going to die again. And Jesus wasn't going to be there to bring her back from the dead a second time. Her resurrection was temporary. It had a purpose to it. It showed people Jesus has the power. He is the only one that has the power that one day death would not have a claim on anyone. Jesus makes that reality possible with his own death and his own resurrection. He died, and in doing so, takes on the judgment due all of the sin in the world, all of the rebellion against God. Jesus takes on the punishment for that. 
For all of the rebellion against God, Jesus poured on himself and he died. And for three days, it looked like the bad guys won. It looked like darkness reigned and ruled. And then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, never to taste death again, making it possible for those who have put their faith in Christ to also have their lives fully restored, to have new life given to them, new life that are built on Christ's righteousness, his power, his authority. New life that is a testimony to the power and authority of Jesus. New life that when death comes for them, those people who have put their faith in in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, those people will fall asleep. But death does not have the final world because they may fall asleep here, but they will be awakened anew with Christ. It's a temporary thing. Death no longer is the final chapter. So what has Peter learned here? Being in this crowd, standing in the corner of this room, what what have we learned here? What has Peter seen? He saw a religious leader, a synagogue ruler, publicly begging for help of Jesus, humbling himself before Jesus with faith that Jesus would heal his daughter with just a touch. With the fear for his daughter, with the fear for his daughter's life and full of faith, Jairus goes to Jesus. And it makes sense, right, for Jesus to heal this guy because he's a powerful official. It's nice for him to have to owe Jesus a favor. But on the way, they take this relationship detour with this unclean woman. This nobody in comparison to who Jairus is. And Jesus interacts with her. He stops and cares for her. He stops what he is doing to have a moment with her, to acknowledge her, to treat her like a human, to heal her and love her. And with the fear of the consequences laid before her and full of faith, this woman went to Jesus. These two people, we have this unclean woman and Jairus, two people from very different worlds, very different strands of life, come to Jesus looking for help. They come out of fear and find comfort and power and grace and authority. Peter saw this. Peter watched this. We see this, that when you come to Jesus, We need to do so with the right attitude, the right mindset, and the right intentionality because you can't just put yourself around other Christians and expect everything to get better, expect something to happen without actually seeking after Christ himself. We see with this detour that even if you are called somewhere, even if you have an end point, you have something you are working towards, you have an end goal in mind for yourself and for your life, you shouldn't ignore what God is doing right now. You shouldn't be so caught up in getting where you are going to ignore the work that God is doing in you and through you and around you right now. Pay attention. Because Peter learned that when you follow Jesus, you will be privy to some amazing experiences. I personally, I've seen people healed. I've seen broken and wrecked relationships forgiven and restored. I've seen people turn from lives of self-destruction and rebellion towards Christ. I've seen God take things that were meant for evil and use them for his good and his glory. And these aren't things that I've done. These are just things that God's let me see by being a follower of Jesus. You're going to see amazing, awe-inspiring things if you pay attention. Because God is in that business. He is in the business of doing amazing, awe-inspiring things. He is redeeming and restoring and refreshing that which has been broken and wrecked and is dead. And so we as Christians need to be mindful that God is at work in our world. We need to be on the lookout for the amazing things he is doing and to celebrate those things when we see them. 
Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus takes the hopeless. He takes the helpless, the fearful. And with all power and authority, he brings peace and life restored. Let's pray.